0: Welcome to the Words of Nerds live stream to launch James Mackenzie Watson's debut novel, Denizen, a gothic thriller exploring rural Australia's simultaneous celebration of harsh country and stoic people, a tension that forces its inhabitants to dangerous breaking point. I'm Danny Vee and I'm your host tonight. Now, just a little bit about James before we crack on. James Mackenzie Watson writes fiction with a focus on health and rural Australia. His novel Denison won the 2021 Penguin Literary Prize, very impressive, and was published by Penguin Random House in 2022. Denison also received a 2021 Varuna Residential Fellowship and a 2021 KSP Residential Fellowship. Welcome, James how are you feeling hearing that intro and how are you feeling now that the book's out in the world and you're sitting here with the three of us launching the book online
1: thank you so much it's still surreal it's it's felt surreal ever since i found out i'd won the prize it, i'm sure it will stop feeling surreal at some point maybe in two or three years Literally but certainly not. not yet yeah it's i was just saying to these guys before uh, before we went live, it's been so exciting and such an honour and a privilege to to get to connect with all these writers and all these people that I admire and respect and I'm so excited to do events like this with. Uh, I'm sure, you know, as as you say, I'm sure it will stop feeling surreal at some point, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it until it does.
0: Actually not. I reckon yeah. hang on to that. We know that writing's hard and sometimes it's a yeah. bit of a thankless career. <laughs> so hang on to that magic, I reckon. Uh, a couple of people will start in the comments saying hello. We've got Danuka McKenzie, evening, congrats, james uh, michelle upton congratulations lisa kenway and plenty others watching but um, i'll keep an eye on the comments throughout as well because this is your night and i just think you'll never get so many people at once say all these nice things about you so i think what you need to do is you need to keep this thread so whenever you're having a really crappy day you can go back and go "Geez, you know it's okay not every day is bad <laughs> I'd also like to welcome uh, those watching from their devices or viewing later. That's the beautiful thing about podcasts and live streams. You can tune in at any time. You don't actually have to tune in right now, although we'd like that. We'd like to hear from you. Um, So this will also become a podcast episode Um, in the next day or two, please join the conversation, put your comments and questions in the thread throughout the night and I'll keep an eye on that as we go through because we'd, you know, love everyone to join in as much as we can. I'd also like to welcome our awesome panel who we caught up on Monday. We thought we were going to start the party without you, James, when we caught up on Monday. Lynn Yowett and Petronella McGovern. Lynn is a professional writer and editor and author of the stunning book, The Silent Listener, her debut novel. And Petronella, also a writer and editor, is also of the best-selling debut novel, Six Minutes, The Good Teacher and The Liars. Welcome to you both. Lovely to see you again. Lynn,
2: how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm still buzzing from Monday night and I'm going to say from having read This Little Beauty. So, yeah, all is good. Even electrifying
0: <laughs> that's right and we uh, on Monday we kind of did a bit of our own little crime novel too and it might have had something to do with a parking attendant and all our cars where we thought we were going to get fined so we kind of wrote a collaborative crime novel on the night oh. uh, Petronella how are you?
3: I'm great, and I'm so excited to be here with James. And I'm sorry you weren't with us on uh, Monday night, but we did not get parking tickets, so that was the good thing. It's yeah, um, some
2: kind of miracle. Also, I think you, James, because you were in Dubbo doing your local launch, weren't you?
1: Yes, that's right. I was. Yeah, I was. It was always uh, the the next day. I did briefly consider trying to get down for that dinner <laughs> and then drive back the next day, but I thought that might be packing a Stretching bit too much in. It. Stretching yeah. it a
0: bit. <laughs> Uh, Michelle Dano says, I can't wait to buy a copy on Thursday. Marie says, congratulations. We've got our mate RWR McDonald saying, congratulations. How are you, Rob? Uh, Louise, hi from Mudgee. James, have my copy ready to read. Naomi Shippen, hi, everyone. And Annette, huge congrats. Love the book, James. Enjoy writing the just published way, I reckon. <laughs> Now we're not going to give too much away because, particularly, I mean, with all novels, that's really important. But particularly with a novel like this that is quite complex and has a lot of threads going on, we're going to not give a lot away. But then I'm going to challenge you to give us an elevator pitch as as to what the book is about.
1: Yeah, no worries. So Denizen is, as you say, it's an Australian Gothic thriller about rural Australia's uh, simultaneous celebration of how harsh, harsh the country is and how stoic the people are, and the fact that uh the gap in the middle you know these there are these are two uh, things that are completely incompatible and often result in a huge gap that leads to terrible outcomes for people in the bush uh, more specifically it's about a nine-year-old boy named parker growing up on a remote cattle property in western new south wales who fears that there's something wrong with his brain uh, and this fears apparently confirmed when he does something abhorrent as a child Years later, Parker, who's now a father himself, returns to the bush for a camping trip with old friends, Uh, but this camping trip becomes the termination point for a lifetime of fear, guilt, and violence, and Parker's finally forced to address the consequences of his childhood.
0: Mm, that's a really good
3: elevator oh, picture i feel like you've is. done that before <laughs> I've
1: about, about 12 times this week
3: okay. well i i've got goosebumps just listening and i that's a fantastic elevator picture. well the 12th
0: time i reckon you completely nailed it so okay. <laughs> um who we got we got lots of people commenting and i just want to keep rolling through it otherwise you know it'll be this gigantic thing at the end hayley scrivener Big congrats, James! Welcome, Haley. We've got Vicky. It's next. To my to read pile. Can't wait to read it. Uh, looking forward to meeting you at Bad, and we love the Bad Crime Festival. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favourite festivals of the year. Uh, Lynn, you've got a question first up for James.
2: Yeah, so I'm a bit jealous, but um, because pe- uh, you won the Penguin Literary Prize, as um, Danny said, no, and I shouldn't be jealous because I've never entered it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about it. Like, why did you enter? How polished was the manuscript when you sent it in? And then, yeah, particularly what was it like? Did you get long-listed, short being told that you'd won it? And then, well, how did that change your life? So only, you know, 16 questions in 16 one. 16 questions in one. <laughs> and then lynn has got nothing left.
1: <laughs> uh, I I hadn't entered the Pen- Penguin Literary Prize before. Uh, part, I spent four or five years kind of trying to build what i thought of as a writing cv you know trying to sort of build publications and uh just build a bit of a list of you know achievements i guess to to bolster things i was sending off largely to agents and publishers my passion has always been long form writing. Uh, I kind of agree with Cormac McCarthy when he says he doesn't like writing short stories because anything that doesn't take years of your life and nearly drive you to suicide isn't worth doing. I I kind of agree with that. (laughs) I definitely find long form um, a more attractive style Uh, And so Denison was one of the six manuscripts I wrote over about three years. Um, I kind of tried to teach myself how to write novels by just writing novels and redrafting them. Uh, It was the one that I always felt the most, I guess, connected to, excited about, always felt that it was the one that had the most of me in it. And so it was the one that I kept coming back to uh, and... Redrafted again and again over quite a few years and submitted that, you know, sent that off to different places, different publishers, different agents, entered it in different competitions. Uh, And before it won the Penguin Literary, or before it got shortlisted, I kind of, I had a little bit of a a snowballing, which was really exciting. It won a Varuna Fellowship, it won a KSP Fellowship. Uh, it sort of felt as if it was starting to get some momentum and when I won—sorry, when I was shortlisted for the prize, I thought, fantastic, once the winner's been announced, I can add this to the, the CV and be sending it off to people saying, but you know, and it also it was shortlisted for the Penguin Literary Prize. I genuinely didn't expect to win. I know everyone says that and it sounds very naff, but it's entirely true. I was really excited for it to be announced, as I say, so I could get on with sending it to other places. Uh, it was a complete shock when I won. When I won, when I found out that I'd won, uh, Ashley Collagen-Blunt, who I do a podcast with, James and Ashley stay at Home, we were in the middle of recording an episode at Veruna. I was on a two-week residency at Veruna and we were recording an episode and I got a phone call from Meredith Kurnow, uh, who's the publisher at Penguin, who uh, published the book. Uh, So we've now got this amazing recording of me. I put put it on mute while I took the call, but then was still recording, you know, didn't think to stop it. And so we've now got this recording of me having just been told that I'd won the prize. And Meredith said you know, I've told you this, but you can't tell anyone just yet. So naturally, I immediately told Ashley and, you know, very kindly Penguin didn't immediately retract the prize when I confessed that to them. But as I say, it means that there's now this amazing recording of us having this conversation. It's in episode 31 of our podcast, I think.
2: I love um, that. Yeah. yeah. You have to hold hold back that, dropping that episode until...
1: It was, it was we were recording an episode about... Uh, being at Varuna and spending that time at Varuna. So we put I put out that episode on time just with that relevant bit cut out for a later episode. And then once the prize was announced, which was in the middle of July last year, we did an episode talking about that and announcing that. And so we included oh, that in I there. I love
0: that. I love that you've got a recording of that real, you know, real excitement and authentic excitement. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Now we've got Stella Glory on the line. Hello, you gorgeous human saying, Wow. And uh, she says, why can't we tell people? You know, I don't know. People have their rules. We love you, Stella. Uh, Michelle says, I love how you use the backdrop of rural Australia as a character. And Mary says, love hearing about your writing journey, James. And it is really interesting. And I think, um, you know, being able to teach yourself how to write because you can do lots of writing courses, which are fantastic, but really you just have to write, don't you? You have to write and read and, and just learn how to do it yourself. If it was a lockstep process to get published it wouldn't be so hard
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely and I I mean I'm I started writing I tell this to people all the time that I think they think I'm joking but I'm not I started writing largely because it's cheaper than therapy you know (laughs) I wrote to understand myself and my own emotions and um and I'm just very very lucky that obviously that's you know I found a form and found a way to make that something that other people are enjoying as well but it feels entirely selfish you know I'd be I'd be very happy to write if it was in a dark room with no-one reading it. You know, mm-hmm. Aren't I lucky that there are people who are interested in reading it?
0: Yeah, it is a kind yeah. of a meditation, though, I think, losing is, yourself yeah. um, in the writing. So I think you're absolutely right in terms of that therapy. Yeah. Uh, Petronella, you've got
3: a question? Or yeah, a- so I want to ask more about the writing process. But first I want to say congratulations because it is Thank such it. an incredible book and I'm so excited for people who haven't read it to... To get into it and I did a quick, because I read it quite a while ago, I did a quick reread today and it just reminded me how clever you are and how layered it is and how, you know, you challenge the reader, you challenge everything, like it's just an incredible book. So so I wanted to ask about the writing process and firstly, how long it took to write this particular book and and you just told me you wrote how many, how many manuscripts did you say? Six.
1: Six <laughs> in, about, in about three years.
3: So, firstly, how long this book t- took to write, but also then you were editing it and sort of rewriting when you're working as a nurse and working night shifts and had you know had the podcast and had other stuff going on in life, and how did you kind of balance that, particularly when it is such a complex layered story?
1: Um just to clarify with the six manuscripts anyone can write six manuscripts writing six good manuscripts is something That's different true, true. Um, so just um so i wrote the first draft of Denizen in at uh, the end of 2015 uh I, it was the third manuscript i wrote in that time i was 22 when i wrote the first draft um it came
3: disgusting. i just wanted to <laughs> We're all it, just pulling faces for the podcast, which we now I can see. We're all just pulling faces about the 22 year old. But anyway, that's OK.
1: <laughs> it it came at a really odd point in my life. because So I'd, I, I'd kind of had this idea for this novel and I thought this will be the next thing I write and was kind of toying with this idea in my head. And then I woke up one day towards the end of 2015 and couldn't feel my feet. And over a period of a couple of weeks, uh, that progressed until I was stumbling and falling over and having some fairly significant issues with my lower legs. uh, And went to hospital when was diagnosed with Guillain-Barré syndrome, which is an autoimmune disorder in which the uh, the immune system attacks the peripheral nerves, linings of the peripheral nerves. It's kind of a cousin of MS. MS is central nerves, Guillain-Barré is peripheral nerves. Uh, Part of the diagnostic workup for that is a spinal tap which uh and the the old orthodoxy for spinal taps was that you had to lie on your back for two hours after you'd had the procedure to prevent a cerebral spinal fluid leak i don't think they do that anymore but so they did this procedure and then i had to lie flat on my back and i thought well this is as good a time as any to start thinking about what i want to do with this novel and so i spent that two hours thinking about it and by the time i was allowed to sit up again i had a fairly good idea of what i wanted denizen to look like wow um, and I started writing it as soon as I was discharged from hospital. I wrote the first draft in about six weeks, but it was a very different book to what it is now. It was about sixty thousand words. It was really just the second and third act. Uh, my favourite author of all time is David Van, who writes novels that are very—they're very visceral, intense, compact novels, often set over a period of days about you know, they like Greek tragedies, people are, are shoved together in awful situations, and they're sort of played out to their extremes. And Denison was very much that kind of book in its first iteration. Uh, and then I began the process of going back and, and redrafting and redrafting and writing other manuscripts and then coming back to this. And as I said before, Denizen was the one that I felt the most connected to and the most excited about, and it was the one I kept coming back to. Uh, and as I Kept coming back to it. I kind of realized that there was a a lot more to the story that I wanted to write about. There were things that I hadn't realized I'd written about in the first draft, things about mental health in the bush uh, and about how catastrophic the consequences of unchecked mental illness in the bush can be. And started you know, fleshing out more of a backstory which became the first act and what's what's now the book. And about, I think the fourth or fifth draft was when I started submitting it to places and it was the sixth draft that won the Penguin Literary Prize. Wow. Um, but in terms of editing, I mean, Denizen. I think all books are, you know, written in the rewriting. And Denizen is an extreme example of that. But I think that's also because I, like I said, I was I was twenty two when I wrote. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, you know, there was a lot. I I learned how to write and how to rewrite by just going back and working on that novel and and pushing through different drafts and and flushing it out more and and showing it to people and getting feedback and working out how to nuance it. That there, there were a lot of problems with the initial drafts, not least of which was the fact that. I wrote it from a place of real provocation those first few drafts I was kind of angry and upset about things that I'd seen and experienced as as an adolescent growing up in in the bush and it was sort of me saying I had to feel all this stuff so now I'm going to make you feel it which is not a good way to kind of entice a readership into reading your book kind of giving them the finger the whole way through um so you know there was a lot of kind of I guess teasing out a bit more of a kind of taming that story a bit to make it a bit more readable and a bit more accessible. in terms of finding the time to write and edit you talked about doing shift work I actually think nursing is the perfect career for writers and I am forever advocating for writers and creatives of all kind to to take up nursing as a profession (laughs) part of the reason is because uh that's why I went into nursing a nurse that I knew as a teenager told me that nursing was a fantastic way to supplement a creative career partly because of the flexibility because you know, you you have time with shift work or you've got more freedom with shift work to to fit writing into your life if you want to, but also because it's full of such amazing creative fodder for for writing, you see things, you experience things, you you know, that you just wouldn't in other walks of life. And he was so right on both counts. Uh, So I found that really helpful in terms of getting the book done Uh, not just in terms of having the time to write. I spent a lot of time writing before evening shifts or, you know, around night shifts and that sort of thing, but also just because so much of my job found its way uh, into the book. Um, Mm. So I think I've answered all 12 of the questions that were in there. Let me know if I've missed anything. (laughs) You've
0: done a great job, James, of answering all these multifaceted questions. Now, I just want to go back. I find it really interesting that I think a lot of um, writing comes out of those really hard moments or out of trauma mm. and i feel that's you know and you can feel that in a book when you read it you know i always think when someone's put their own you know hardship in it or their heart and their soul you know that when you're reading mm. it so do you feel like that you know trauma and that hardship that you went through when you were flat on your back for a couple of hours how did that lend itself to telling this story
1: i think i mean you're right that yeah, Denizen is very much an exploration of uh, of my own thoughts and emotions in a, in an entirely fictionalised way, and that's really important. It's really important to stress that it is an entirely a work of fiction for a whole bunch of reasons that would be very obvious to people who've read the book. But m- m- most, you know, mostly uh, because I feel like I owe it to my poor, long-suffering family. You know, the the there are peripheral characters in the book. Um, you know a mum and dad character that are not portrayed in a especially positive light and I feel I want to you know make it very very clear that that is not about my own parents my parents have been nothing but incredibly supportive throughout my entire life and I, I worried a lot before the book was released about what you know assumptions people would make about my family having read it um, but in terms of like you say having those experiences and that that pain in a book like I said writing Denison an uh, was was therapy um, I I was a, a pretty unhappy teenager I had my fair share of mental health issues when I was a teenager I you know put my poor family through hell um, with that and a lot of that you know once I you know I, I dropped out of school when I was 16 and did very little for a couple of years and then moved to Sydney uh, to study nursing and and moving to Sydney I realized was the best thing I could have done because it took me away from the bush and took me to a place with more supports and more opportunities. And I flourished for doing that. And I realized once I was living in Sydney, looking back at my adolescence and my childhood, how much of the things I went through were exacerbated by lack of resources to mental health support in the bush. And I felt a lot of grief and guilt and upset about things that had happened, things that I'd seen, things that I'd done as as an adolescent. Uh, and writing Denizen was absolutely me trying to expunge that uh, and I suppose if it feels if if it does feel as if there's authenticity in that that's fantastic because I would love to think that Denizen's a novel that will encourage people to think and talk about mental illness in forms and contexts that are perhaps a little bit less palatable or a little bit less, you know, Instagrammable than uh, the kind of conversations we're having at the moment. Uh, And if that authenticity helps with that, then fantastic.
0: And how important are the conversations about mental health? You know, when I was young and suffering anxiety, you couldn't talk about it. You know, so now at least you know what you have done. You've opened up conversations. Your podcast does the same thing, James, and I think it's just really important. You know, and you can. That's why I think you can enjoy your book on a number of different levels. You know, and I think that's what's made it so enjoyable for us. Lynn, you've got a burning question. I know you do. <laughs> uh, I'm going to
2: throw one that's um, a little bit off center. Uh, the lasagna and the peas. <laughs> <laughs> so for people going right read, on a tangent now. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd be, I want to get this in. and yeah, I can It's really important. It, Probably the I'm most important It's going to get question. deep and meaningful, so I thought I'll go <laughs> with this one nice and early. So for those who haven't yet read the book, and yet is the keyword because you've just <laughs> got to read this masterpiece. Lasagna and peas there is a meal fairly early on, which is significant in its own right. I'm not just saying this because <laughs> i don 't know, but the meal is lasagna and peas. I have never ever 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 had lasagna and peas, and i don't know whether this is a fictional thing in your mind, James, that you would either like to or one day someone did that to you and you just thought right I'm going to do <laughs> someone this. did that to you. <laughs>
0: That's where the trauma came from. It wasn't from James being in <laughs> hospital. It was the peas.
2: Very weird combination.
0: You're gonna,
1: you, you're gonna have broken my mum's heart, Lynn, because she's watching and she served lasagna and peas regularly to us when we were children.
0: <laughs> we're so sorry, Mrs. James and Lindsay Watson. We love peas and lasagna. I actually might try it. I'm not opposed to either of those. Things, tell us, tell us about it.
1: Well, I mean, you're right, in the book it's in it's in a it's a negative context. It's it's really it's a device to uh, yeah. To illustrate conflict between Parker and his mum, yeah, and I don't know why you
2: know.
0: it could have
1: been anything. You're right, and I don't know why I chose lasagna and peas because I actually quite like lasagna and peas. As I said, we had, a, I still have that now. Oh, I no. Often have lasagna and peas.
0: I like lasagna and I like peas. So why wouldn't you like them together?
1: It's really weird. You're the second person in two days to question me about this. My partner said yesterday we have got to talk, you know, about this. The, the peas, as it rings. You don't like peas? What's, I, I yeah.
3: <laughs> maybe it's a maybe it's a country thing. I feel I maybe used to have a, lasagna and peas. I think we had lasagna and peas. Yeah, it didn't strike did strike me as weird.
0: Solve this debate. Have you eaten <laughs> lasagna and peas? What's your thoughts on it? Did I mean, you grow up in the country? <laughs> really important stuff that we're getting at now. Yeah,
2: now, pass five yeah. with that answer? Oh look. I think I'm just going to move right on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And say, oh, I was just let to say, I know that my mum is watching. So, mum, you can leave a comment. Uh, justify and, yourself. And Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, look, Michelle Upton. She says, "I like lasagna and peas together." So, maybe you're the weird one.
1: Keep an eye out for, for Trish Watson in the comment feed. Trish
0: Watson, I'm looking <laughs> yeah.
2: for you. Okay. Um, but the peas are actually significant, and they and that whole um, scene around the mother and um, Parker. Do you want to talk talk to us a little bit about what goes on with mother and um, the mum and Parker? Because I'm going to say it reminded me a little bit of um, some parts of Lionel Shriver's. We need to talk about Kevin. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that, and that was absolutely an influence on those parts of the book. Uh, so the first act, a big part of the of uh, the early parts of the book, is this conflict between uh, Parker, who's nine, uh, in those scenes, and his mother, who's clearly struggling under the weight of her own mental ill health Mm -hmm. and just the pressures of remote isolation, raising a a difficult child, a child with with obvious issues in the bush, uh, not being well supported by her partner, her husband. um, And that conflict is kind of at the heart of uh, the the early parts of the book. Um, A lot of, when I was sort of drafting the book and editing the book, um, putting the book through, uh, the writers group that, that Ashley and I were both a part of in Sydney, a lot of the feedback I got about those scenes were would a child really be this uh, ferocious with their mother? You know, do children really act out in this way? Uh, and I can say with a, a great degree of certainty that they do uh, and I think that that conflict is, uh, you know, it's another one of those things that I think we're not very good at talking about as a society again is children who behave in particularly distressing upsetting confronting ways you know we like this narrative of children being innocent of children being if not not responsible for their actions then uh for what they do being you know almost entirely mitigated by their circumstances which i'm sure is true to some degree but i think it's also really interesting to think about you know children as having Uh, agency and responsibility in these kind of contexts and where that responsibility ends and where the context, you know, mitigates what's going on Um, and children's responsibility for their actions and, you know, the moral culpability of children, particularly at the extremes of behaviour, you know, when they're doing abhorrent criminal things is something that I really wanted to explore in the book because uh, I think, again, it's something that's not that's not readily discussed. It's not we don't like discussing it.
2: and we don't have I, to do with children, do we? No, we
1: don't. We don't. It's so hard to some of
2: those horrific crimes.
1: Yes, uh, you know the example that uh, that often comes to mind for me is uh, James Bulger, that the toddler in the UK uh, who was killed by two ten-year-olds, I think, or eleven-year-olds. You know, and that was you. Know, you look at that story and think, what's going on in the mind of a child who does something like that? Uh, And it's very, very easy, I think, because it's a much easier solution to write them off as evil or to write them off as, you know, as that being just so beyond the pale of what we understand that we choose not to understand it. Whereas I think the much harder, uh, you know, solution is to to work really hard to try to understand what goes on in the mind of someone who does something like that, not because it's easy or because we like sympathising with them, but because it's actually really important to be able to prevent things like that from happening again. You know, the only way you can stop future children from doing things like that I think is by understanding why the you know children before have done them mm. um, and again that's something that I've always been fascinated by and was really and that was that was something that was present in denison from its very first very first draft very first iteration
0: now, there's a fear to it, I think, and I think whenever there is such fear, we we do shut it off. You know, yeah. you can't understand it. You don't, in a way, you don't want to understand it, and so you sort of shut that down. Before we carry on with these quite dark things, I am going to go back to lasagna and peas. Uh, you have split the community, then. <laughs> uh, we have Hayley Scrimmer saying lasagna and peas don't strike me as strange at all with an exclamation mark. Haley. We have uh, your mum, Trish. She came. Yep. My mum, she says, I never knew it was a weird combination. <laughs> <laughs> and Thank Stella has, me. Stella Glory has replied, it's not. Don't listen to those snooty writers, which I think is direct reference to you. To Lynn.
2: I would ignore anything that, and everything that Stella Glory
0: says. So. You've divided a community, so well done. Well done, Lynn. You know what,
1: if this is the most controversial part of the book, I'll be happy. I, I'm terrified <laughs> about the kind of Goodreads reviews I'm going to get. If this is the worst bit, be, fine.
2: It could actually be called Denizen, subtitle, Lasagna and peaks. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <This secret.
2: laughs> you
0: <laughs> know, the writing community is so supportive and you've just split them right down the middle, so well
3: done um, to you, Lynne Yowat. Yeah. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Petronella, you have a question for James. Well,
3: James, I wanted to ask you about the title of the novel, which does not include lasagna and peas at all, <laughs> which are a completely normal thing. Um, so where did the title come from? And I know it kind of reflects the, the country setting, but can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so the title, um, every manuscript I've ever written, the title's been one of the first things I've decided on. And then regardless of how the, the, the novel changes or develops, I, I try to find a way to keep that relevant. Um, I, I kind of remember how I got to Denizen as a title. Um, I, th- I think it might have been part of a song lyric that I liked. Um, so I put that aside to use it as a title for this novel. but it actually does have, I think, wonderful significance in my you know my idea. Uh, initially was you know so a denizen is as opposed to a citizen a citizen is someone who formally belongs to a place you know we citizens of Australia a denizen is someone who uh, you know lives there but doesn't have that formal uh, connection so it's often applied to animals you know kangaroos are denizens of the bush I'm fascinated by the idea that in such harsh and inhospitable country you can only ever be a denizen uh, and that it's impossible to belong to somewhere so so harsh and so you know somewhere that's often seems like it's actively trying to thwart you Uh, and so that's why that's where the title denizen comes from about that you know that slightly removed sense of belonging in those kind um, of communities
3: i love it i think it's such a fascinating well fascinating word and a fascinating concept and so then on top of that so the town the name of the town Colodai. is that yeah so that's a um it's a fictional town, yes. It
1: is, yes, yes.
3: Roughly placed, can you tell us roughly placed where? Roughly based uh, on something?
1: <laughs> I I don't know if I'll um, if I'll annoy people. I mean, I think it, it probably it it you wouldn't have to be Sherlock Holmes to work out where it might be based on. Um, <laughs> I, I did grow up in a in a, oh, yeah, in a regional town, yeah. <laughs>
0: We're getting more and more controversial as we go on. We are heading into the last third of the launch. So if there's any questions uh, from anyone listening and watching now, please put them in the comments and we can put uh, James under the microscope. We've already talked about the really difficult issues. So uh, if you've got more for us, that'd be great. Uh, Now, James, I I love crime. I love thrillers, all those genres. You know, I can't stop reading them. I read them really fast. And I know that, you know, particularly in Australia, we have so many amazing writers in this genre. And it's a very big genre with all different sub-genres, you know, connected to it. But why do you think this genre or these particular genres are resonating so much with readers right now.
1: It is. It's fascinating. You're right, isn't it? Rural noir has just exploded as a genre. Um, and I'm really lucky that I didn't realise that's what I was writing until about a year ago. And <laughs> luckily for me, it you know, it had blown up uh, in the time since I'd started, started writing. Um, and I think The Dry was the first book that mm. I read that really solidly fit well you know, in terms of modern contemporary, I mean, obviously you've got older works like Wake in Fright, which I think you could also argue is a brilliant example of a real noir. Um, I don't know if it's that people are awakening to the potential of... I mean, it's not... The the bush and the darkness of the bush is not not a new topic for for film and literature is that we've got a long, proud history in this country of portraying the bush in a particularly bloodthirsty, inhospitable light. Um, But... More recently, I don't know, I wonder if it's a transplantation of the sort of really, you know, really successful uh, rural thrillers that we're getting out of places like Scandinavia and the US that uh, Australian authors are embracing that uh, in a way that they weren't before because there's a market that's exploded for it overseas. It's interesting. I feel like I'm not well-placed to comment because I, as I say, I didn't realise that's what I was writing, and I certainly wasn't writing that intentionally. I was just writing... Uh, you know, I was writing <laughs> books about mental health that happened to take place in the country, because that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. But it's I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that this book that the this genre has exploded in the way it has, because invariably, it does lead people to think about the specific issues challenging rural and regional Australia, of which there are so many and so often in these books it does seem that mental health uh as a as a challenge comes up dirt town by haley scrivener is another fantastic example of that that delves really beautifully and really sensitively into the the challenges that those kind of rural communities face that that lead to often you know such such violent or such tragic outcomes um, I, Yes, I, I don't know. It's I don't know. I'd be fascinated to know if anyone's got more of an idea than me. I, I I think it's, I mean, I love reading about it because that's what I know, because that's what I'm interested in. But there is obviously something about it that's exciting people. Yeah,
0: there is. I think it just, I think crime these days, you know, is so complex, is so laid, is so character driven. And you've got your double pl- twists in the ends. And yes. I also think it's so reflective of the society that you're in, that it helps you to, I think, try and make sense of our context and our mm. world. So I think that's why uh, for me it resonates anyway. Now we're on the final stretch. We're going to have one more question from Lynn and one more question from Petronella. And then I'm going to put you through a really quick, fast round of questions from the audience, which are coming in thick and fast now. So you're going to have about 30 seconds for each question.
1: Excellent.
2: Uh, Lynn, final okay. question. Nature versus nurture. Mm. Is it, uh, is it an issue in the book? Because I think it is. And what do you absolutely? About
1: yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, the Bush rural communities are a petri dish for this question, aren't they? Because so often when you've got uh, already vulnerable people facing issues, you know, socioeconomic disparity, health and education differences, poor health and education outcomes, you really get to see, uh, you know, whether it's people's Mm. personalities their uh their cause or what they're put through that that dictates the way they behave and um their outcomes i mean i think it's both it's you can't help but shape be shaped by both i think the bush though provides some really fascinating and again often very tragic examples though of just how much nature can push people over the edge Mm -hmm. particularly you know you look at i think drought-stricken communities places where uh, you know, townships have to be abandoned because there's no water. You know, it's not when we talk about nature versus nurture in this context. Um, it's not just you know the nature isn't benign. It's often, say, as I said, it seems actively uh, antagonistic to the people living there. Um, so yeah, definitely both. But I think the bush is a great example of when nature is particularly uh, mm-hmm. problematic or has a particular impact.
3: Yeah. Petronella, final question from you. Final question. So I'm going to ask for all those uh, new writers who are watching, emerging writers, what's your advice to uh, a new writer?
1: Um, I say the same thing to everyone who asks this question. It's join a writing group. It was the single best thing I did uh, for my writing. I uh, had written in isolation, written all these manuscripts, you know, for about three years and when I joined Ashley's writing group in 2017. And... It made. I think the thing that was so incredibly helpful about it was that not only do you have people who are considering your work and giving feedback and having that outside perspective is so important in order to see what's working, what's not, how to fix it, but it also gives you context for your work. You're able to put it in a broader picture, um, you know, what are people at a similar level and a similar place doing to you? What's the market looking for? You know, what is contemporary writing from emerging authors? What does that look like? Um, And I found that so exciting uh, to be able to get a feel for that. And my writing was challenged and pushed and developed in really, I hope interesting ways. Uh, And I made such good friendships out of it as well. You know, there are people that I still consider my closest friends that, you know, I still swap and share work with. I think you have to, you can't write in a vacuum. As fun and as therapeutic as that is, in order to get, you know, any kind of success, however you define that, you need to have your writing been exposed to critique, criticism, you know, in turn learn how to critique and criticize yourself so you can do that to other people's work and then apply that to your own work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, join a writer's group. That's my advice. I'll, I'll second all of that. <laughs> in I, I'm
3: in a few writers' groups and I, I think it's wonderful getting that sort of feedback and, and giving that sort of feedback as mm. well. Really. And I think
1: at any point in your career, you know, you could be um, an aspiring writer or an established writer. It's, it doesn't matter. It's always important. It's always important.
0: I think so too. Uh, people often say that even when they're up to their second, third or fourth book, it feels just like they're writing the first one and they've got yeah. no idea still so <laughs> okay here we go are you ready for your fast paced questions you you're have to
1: cut me off if i'm talking Fun too long
0: world. i'll do the you know the oscars music or something okay, um think, yeah. ashley ashley Collagen blunt our friend uh she's also got a ripper photo on twitter of all our shocked faces about the controversial lasagna and peas so check that out it's the funniest photo are we pulling the weirdest faces shocked faces right okay, um so ashley says if you could go back, would you still spend time working on short stories, or would you skip that and just focus on the novel?
1: No, that's. I would absolutely. Yeah, I would absolutely still spend that time working on those short stories because I learned so much from doing that. I think it taught me how to have to be concise in a way that I wasn't. Uh, it's definitely mm-hmm. not time wasted. Um, it's definitely, as I say, it's not my preferred. Medium because I I don't have, I feel like I don't have the skill set to be able to get across what I want to in such a, sh- a short space of time, but definitely not time wasted. I definitely, definitely would still do it again.
0: Perfect. Our friend Poppy G, who I saw in real life a couple of weeks ago in Brisbane, has anything surprised you about the publishing process in your experience <laughs> with this book?
1: How incredibly kind and lovely everyone is. It's just unbelievable. You know, I I I have <laughs> actually and. More specifically, it was how deeply and thoughtfully the editors and publisher at Penguin engaged with it. You know, I couldn't believe that they were reading it and critiquing it and helping me mould it with the same level of enthusiasm and excitement as if they'd written it. And they got it. They got what I was trying to say. And they were trying to help me hone in on that and make it even better. You know, people talk about um, going through that process and feeling very guarded at their work and not wanting... Um, to let people in, I was so excited. I was like, you know, excellent. Make it better. This is your job. You're experts. How lucky am I to have you looking at this and and helping me find ways to make it better? But that was definitely much easier for knowing that they were as excited about it as I was and had its best interest at heart.
0: Yeah. And that's what it's about, isn't it? The editing becomes easier when you're all trying to make that yeah. thing the best it can possibly be. You know, that editing doesn't break you so much. <laughs> it was p-
1: Particularly, sorry, I'm, I'm going to use another 15 seconds to finish that question. <laughs> particularly because um, I was worried that they would want to change big things. I was worried that it would be too, well, too dark, frankly, um, to have commercial viability and that Penguin would want to make large changes to make it more palatable to a commercial audience because i was trying to write about things that felt very important to me in a very honest way even though they were confronting and difficult and um but they didn't they said you know no we're not going to change anything we just want to help make you get to that point more effectively and i was so excited and so thrilled that they
0: uh, i love how you just described from. your book as dark and unpalatable
1: well, I spent, I mean, I'll tell you what, I spent about 15 minutes of the Dubbo launch describing to people how dark it was and yet it still managed to sell books. I don't quite know.
0: People are like, oh, I need to see what that is.
1: People, uh, there are many people, in, well, there's one person in my life who is <laughs> very dear to me who uh, up until recently has been actively telling people that the book's too dark for them to read. They should buy it to support me, but they're not allowed to read it. Uh, so, I love uh, that. Uh, but hopefully that's a selling point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As long as they buy a couple of copies for their shelf, they don't have to read it. It's
1: fine. That's, that's, yeah.
0: <laughs> Louise Louise says, how important has it been to you to find and be part of the Australian writing community?
1: I'm really lucky that I found and was to an extent, I hope, a part of the writing community well before Denison won the prize, well before, you know, it had hope of being published. And that was firstly through the writing group, uh, writing New South, um, which was a Writing New South Wales writing group, but also through the podcast that Ashley and I do. That's, that's probably, apart from joining the writing group, the other single most important thing I think I did in terms of my writing career was to start that podcast with Ashley because it's been such a wonderful opportunity to meet people and connect with people. And I don't mean good for my career in a sense of networking and I'll look at all these connections that I have. I just mean in terms of making friendships. There are so many people that we interviewed on the pe- podcast and spent time chatting to that... You know i now count among my good friends and i mean you know you guys included it's just it's so it's been so lovely to make those friendships completely irrespective of the writing
0: it's remarkable isn't it i mean i know that um you know from my experience in podcasting and you don't have time to sort of you know those really superficial conversations mm. you have at a wedding you know with a bunch of strangers you just get straight into like we have all that yeah. deep stuff and you can't help but forming that friendship with someone really quickly quickly I think and I think that's what's happened you know for me you just form those relationships much quicker than you would have had you been sitting at a table you know getting chicken and fish
2: you know what I mean <laughs> I think also something about everyone knows what what you've gone through yeah right. something like Denison or, or uh, you know everybody um, who's got a book done that we know the hard work that goes mm-hmm. into it and so I think there's a natural kind of block of Um, respect and admiration for people. And just
0: cheering, you know, because I think we all know how hard the process is. And so when someone has any success, we're all ready to celebrate and cheer because we're like, yes,
3: we know this is hard, you know. Because we've been stuck at our own desk for so long and we're so (laughs) lonely. We just want to see people and talk. (laughs) Any excuse to celebrate?
1: Someone told me a couple of months ago now um, to be aware that, you know, part of the publish- part of the process of publishing a book would be that you'd have your whirlwind publicity tour, you'd be doing interviews and events and stuff for a couple of months, and then it would stop and it would be the next person. And that would be, you know, the next book that was coming out and that would be sort of a weird empty feeling. And I thought, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to be able to be the person doing the next, you know, doing the cheerleading and doing the... I've been so lucky in that I've been so wonderfully supported by so many people Ashley, first and foremost, and I hope she knows how grateful I am to for all her support and friendship and encouragement and mentorship over the years. But so many people who've, you know, given me a leg up and I'm so excited to hopefully be able to kind of, you know, turn around and help the next person along now.
0: And that's what is so amazing about the writing community. Everyone is so excited for each other. And if the yeah. world was a bit more like the writing community, we'd be much better place, I reckon. Uh, sure, like COVID,
1: it- COVID would be done as well because no one would go outside. It'd be oh,
0: that's right. We'd all be just writing, meeting <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> Okay, a couple more questions before we uh, wrap up. Rob McDonald, our mate. uh, James, do you diagnose your characters? If so, does this happen while you create them or do you find out as you're writing? Interesting question.
1: Uh, That's a really interesting question. Um, I do, but I make a real point of not putting that on the page for a whole bunch of reasons, but mainly because there are some conditions that have enough stigma about them already without that being exploited in literature i think you can write about symptoms and outcomes without having to identify specific diagnoses but yeah absolutely and both this novel and another novel uh, that i'm currently in the process of working through a third draft on um that has mental health at its core as well i've Absolutely diagnose the characters and absolutely spend a lot of time thinking about those diagnoses and how they fit. But, yeah, would never put it on the page.
0: No, I really like that, too, because I think as well when you do have a condition or even if it's a mental illness like anxiety, we all experience no. it very differently. Yes, of course, you have your list of symptoms but and outcomes, but I think we all experience it very differently as well. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely, mm. and that's—I mean, if if the if your purpose, as mine was with Denison, to engender empathy, then mm. you should be able to describe it with such you know with enough clarity uh, and enough relatability that you don't need uh, a label anyway.
0: Last question from our viewers: uh, Have you had much reaction from your friends and families who live in rural
1: areas? Ah. Yeah, uh... Most a lot of my, so my a lot of my family out here have read it. I'm trying to think. I don't think that many of my rural-based friends. Do you want have them read to read it? it? Uh, yeah, I mean, if they want to, <laughs> they're very welcome to. I think um, it's been the reaction I've had that's been sort of I guess the most meaningful has been from family and friends. Not so much, I think, in the context of what I've written about remote and rural Australia, but people who knew me when I was at my worst and I think probably thought uh, that I would not come through that at times when I was a teenager. And it's been really lovely to see them read it and hopefully read it as, you know, a statement of I am okay um, in a way that as I I think a lot of them probably thought I wouldn't be Mm. um, for a lot of the time when I was an adolescent. Um, But specifically rural and regional, the few people who have that I can think of have definitely said that they related with the portrayal of rural Australia and the difficulties uh, in rural and regional Australia. But I'm almost more interested in, well, no, that's not true. I'm also interested in, uh, you know, friends and family in the city reading it and saying, Oh, I had no idea that this was <laughs> that this was happening. Yeah, um, because I think, unfortunately, most people in rural and regional Australia know that this is happening all too well. They don't need to be told in a book. Yeah. They can look in the paper or chat to a friend and you know hear about some horrific thing that's happened without needing to imagine it.
0: Yeah. And we've got a beautiful comment to wrap up this launch um, from a colleague of yours, James Marie. She says she's so proud of your achievement. She said, "Not just the writers' world, but the nursing community is just excited for you." Isn't that nice? Thank and you love- so
1: much, Marie.
0: <laughs> we've all got, got sweaty got- eyeballs now.
1: <laughs> Marie, Marie. Oh, I have to. I'll put it up on Instagram. When Denizen won the Penguin Literary Prize, Marie celebrated by making a denizen cake that she brought in for night shift when we were working together in ed it was a beautiful It was a denizen book cake um and i've got a picture of me in the uh the ambulance bay at ed holding that cake I it was a, thank you sir. it's not and i i'm so lucky I know I've said this a few times and I sound like a broken record, but I really, I'm, just, I'm so thankful and so grateful for all the support and encouragement and friendship. And it's not just from the writing community. It's from wonderful people like Marie in the nursing community and all these other walks of life, friends and family. I, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: Shout out to our nursing community as well again I don't think they get thanked enough and I think they've had a really hard time over the last couple of years too and every time I've had an experience you know with the nursing community you know for my own health and my children's they are just honestly the most caring people and you just feel safe you know even though you don't know you know sometimes you it's a really scary place you're in you know when you have to go into the hospital etc and you know there's just this this thing about them that makes you feel really safe so shout out to them as well joining the writing and the nursing committee can we all just move to Mars leave everyone else behind it'll be this amazing world
2: Then, <laughs> <laughs> final words from you um this is I said it before and I'll say it again and I'll keep saying this is a masterpiece you have got to buy it and read it and tomorrow night I'm cooking lasagna in peace so- <laughs>
0: we want instagram evidence oh, we won't it's not good enough for you to just tell us we want pictures no, no,
2: that's fine <laughs> thanks very much to james's mum for, <laughs> for that yeah you've <laughs>
0: divided a community
2: no. thanks, but you've got to get out, you've got to get out seriously everybody and read this book
3: Petronella, final words from you. Uh, congratulations again. I am so excited. It is such a, an amazing book. And, yes, everyone go and read it. And, James, I'd like you to tell us where you'll be appearing next on your launch uh, on yes. your launch train.
1: Uh, I'll be in Sydney doing a launch event in conversation with uh, some some writer that, that the publicist pulled together <laughs> last night. <laughs> I think someone else must have cancelled. It's Ashley. Uh, Ashley's doing the, the event in Sydney with me. Yeah. Um, that will be fantastic i'm actually i'm so excited to do an in conversation event with ashley because you know not only is she such a wonderful writer and person in in her own right but she knows denizen as well as i do and it's going to be such a fascinating company you know she's seen it in all these iterations and it'll be fantastic so that's a it on when? Glee Books,
2: when? Thursday
1: 28th of uh July so it'll be a week today Mm-hmm. Uh, 6 o'clock start for 6.30, you can register uh, on the Glee Books website. If you go to my website, jamesmckenziewatson.com slash events, list for registration for these events. The week after in Melbourne, the incredible Lee Kaufman will be launching the book with me at Readings Emporium at 6.30 on Wednesday night in Melbourne. I'm mm-hmm. also doing an event at Aries Inlet on Friday with RWR uh, R. MacDonald himself. In conversation at That's Great Escape Books. Jane. <laughs> That's at 6 30 next Friday. And then beyond that, I am doing a panel event with Hayley Scrivener about Rule Noir, so her novel Town, in conversation with her at the Southern and Shy Writers Festival, Writers Unleashed in Gaimia. Yes. That's on Saturday, September. I think it's September 3. It's the first yes, Saturday it is. in September. Can't
2: Excellent. wait for that
0: i'll um, be there as well looking forward we'll all be there, <laughs> we'll be there yeah. it'll be like a reunion it'll be, like- it'll be
1: wonderful it'll be oh, this will be the first time i've met most of these people i'm you know being here in dubbo i don't get to a lot of the face-to-face events so i can't wait to to meet everyone in person and be told how tall i am 20 times
0: <laughs> so i get the opposite oh my god you said sure so we'll just walk around together and you know
1: <laughs> wonderful sure, yeah excellent. not get noticed
0: at all <laughs> Well, thank you so much to everyone who has joined us uh the viewers and commented and everyone who'll join us later on i know people will watch this after the effect and listen to the podcast as well it's been such a, a fun chat and i love how we've been able to go on these tangents of of fun topics lasagna and peas divide a community while we're at it and also talk about those really important issues that you wanted to address as well so thank you so much lynn and petronella it's lovely to see you again and james Congratulations, and I just I can't wait for what you have in store for us next. I mean, it's obviously going to be a hugely successful book, and I just think it's so well so well done.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys, for being a part of this for for being part of the launch. I'm so excited and thankful to have such wonderful people, you know, helping me along on this this journey. It's so exciting. Thank you.
0: Absolutely, and uh, make sure you screenshot all those comments when you're having a bad day. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs)